The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcast belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. I want to give a special shout out to Remy McGee, my little homie listening to the show. Special shout out, Remy. Hope you're having a great day. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to the Flipboard EDU podcast with your host, William Jeffrey, where we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the greatest educators in the world on Flipboard. Let's start the show. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey, and I'm here with the Hall of Famer, Dr. Michael Milstead. The incomparable Stacey Boudreaux couldn't be here tonight. A meaningful discussion about the lack of funding and resources for schools across America requires an honest look at the roles systemic racism plays in education. All too often, we hear about the need for equity as a way to rectify disparities in reality. Equity doesn't address the core problem, but rather perpetuates it. Separate but equal was replaced in 1954 by the term equity, yet minority communities still struggle 66 years later. I've invited Dr. Michael Moody back on the show for a discussion about this topic along with a very good friend of mine, Nicole Taylor. Without further ado, let's collaborate, communicate, and educate with the best educators in the world right here on Flipboard EDU Podcast. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey, and I have Dr. Michael Milstead here with me. Good afternoon, everyone, and good evening. I'm sorry, it's after five o'clock. I'm glad to be back with you, Will, and I'm excited about uh, our show tonight. Man, we have two heavy hitters on here tonight. Yes, sir. And uh, so I am just anxious to get started. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Speaking of people who you want to hit a home run for you, I have the amazing, I almost called you incomparable, but somebody has that name already, <laughs> Nicole Taylor. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hello. To be here with you all, Coach Jeffrey. You know I love Coach Jeffrey, and I follow your work closely. We keep in touch via social media, so I'm I'm really excited to be here with you guys for this important conversation. Thank you so much, Nicole. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm an educator in the Dallas area. I think this is I feel like this school year never ends. Ended right, so right. like and <laughs> last year, starting this year, I'm going into year 19. I teach in the Dallas area. I taught for a number of years, and then served as an instructional coach. And I currently am working to help teachers. I'm still a coach. I'm still a teacher. I'll be a teacher forever. Um, but now I really am coaching support teachers through the lens of instructional technology and how instructional technology can really help them um, help students reach their full potential. So I am an instructional tech coach for nine campuses with Life School, the charter network in Dallas County. And we are also in Ellis County. We have six elementary campuses and three secondary campuses. Yes. And you are 
amazing yourself. I'm not going to take nothing from you as far as learning. I steal some of your stuff because it's amazing. All right. And then we also have Dr. Michael Moody. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good to be back. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. We're going to have you on a lot. As much as I can get you on, I appreciate you coming. <laughs> hey, man, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Moody. Yep. I am also a former, always a teacher. I agree with you, Nicole. I say that too. I'll never not be a teacher. Classroom teacher, not middle school, third grade. I was a high school principal. Um, I was a chief academic officer in Washington, D.C., public schools. And now I'm a consultant. I founded uh, two organizations, Insight Education Group and Insight Advance. Both are really in the teacher effectiveness space. We work with schools and districts to help teachers kind of maximize their potential, all with the kind of goal of making sure that all kids um, get access to high-quality education as is possible. And currently, we're doing a lot of work in both teacher effectiveness and race and equity, really helping districts think through some of the challenges related to race and racism specifically, and helping teachers start to unpack that for themselves so that when their classrooms are kind of providing the utmost support for all their students and really kind of moving the needle where we expect them to. Yes, sir. 100%. And again, like I said, off the air, I respect you and the people who you work with because I've seen you in action. I I saw how you guys were working with teachers and I saw how um, effective that you guys really are. And I appreciate you guys for walking the walk as you do your talk. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, great. All right, Doc, I'm going to let you have the first question. Our episode tonight is about equity. And I just want to really dig in to the conversation of equity. So, Doc, I'm going to let you take that first question. Well, thank you, Will. I I appreciate you you passing the ball. You done dribbled it, you shot, and you missed. Now you're passing it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. Take it. Yeah, guys, I just want to kind of start tonight's conversation off with uh, just equity. How does how does equity how does that look in the classroom or what does that mean for a classroom teacher and a classroom setting with students? Um, I actually think that's a really really good question. That's one of those words that you're seeing people toss around a lot. I think right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, two years ago it was innovation, innovate, innovate right. lunch line pickup, innovate classroom instruction, innovate, innovate, and so now we hear a lot of talk around the word equity, and I really think it means different things depending on where you are and what your community needs and what your students need. Um, But at the end of the day, it's giving everybody what they need so that they can reach desired um, outcomes. And I think that that's one of the things when you think about classroom instruction or you think about districts really moving to be more equitable, I think it's really important that they pause, that you pause and you calibrate and you get a definition. Like, what does that look like in our district? What does that look like in our buildings? And what does that look like in our classrooms for sure? Sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Equity is one of those words we're hearing over and over and over again. I think to the point, honestly, where, you know, I think it's going to start to lose, if it's not right, it starts to lose a little bit of its value. I almost don't use it very much anymore. I talk much more directly about race and racism, mostly because I think, you know, equity for me and kind of in my work has really been about ensuring that all students, but particularly students of color and in in this country, particularly black students, um, there's just mountains of data that suggests kind of that our racist structures and kind of the institutional racism that's sitting within our schools is really inhibiting black students in particular, but most students of color from, mm-hmm. from achievement that they deserve, quite frankly. And I think they are entitled to, and I think we don't haven't done enough in the field to really push the conversation in ways that are going to be impactful for all of our students. And so when I think about equity, for me, it's ensuring that every student, black, white, no matter what color you are, are getting access to the same type of education. That's just not the case. And so, you know, I, I also think equity sometimes allows us to hide behind kind of these, you know, better feeling words. And so we can pretend we're being equitable when we're actually not seeing that manifest itself in schools and districts. And so I agree with you, Nicole, like 
a, a word that's very, very used very frequently. And I think one of the best ways to start to dismantle that is to start to talk about it. When we talk about equity, how are we defining it collectively? So that we can ask, I see some of the tougher questions about what's it really going to take to make things equitable. I'm going to just kind of piggyback off of that a little bit. And, and I'm going to not put on my political hat, but you guys are familiar with the 1619 project. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering now, I, I know that some school districts, particularly down here in the South, are, are trying to get, kind of keep out of the curriculum. What are your views on possibly implementing that type of uh, program into uh, a student's uh, everyday learning? I look at teaching and learning. I think, you know, I'm a teacher mama. And so mm-hmm. I look through the lens of the teacher that I want to be. Because right. I want my kids to have that type of teacher. And right. I can tell you, um, we listened to 1619 Project. I have a 16-year-old junior. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. nine-year-old fourth graders. They're twins. And all of us listen together on our commute to and from to and from school and work. And I'll tell you that I was blown away by the things that I didn't know as an mm-hmm. almost 40-year-old adult. That I wish a teacher had been brave enough to teach me. Right. So I think when it right. comes things like that. I mean, we're, when we're thinking about um, being equitable and giving kids not what we want them to have, but what they need, I think that's one of those things that we want to give kids, but we have to first kind of step back and make sure that we're giving it to them from the right lens, that we're um, checking ourselves and that, you know, we, we're, we're checking our own biases in, uh, along that process. But I definitely think that when it's 1619 Project, other things that kids need, we can't wait on the curriculum writers to write that in for us. But right. um, as educators, we have to look at that as this is something that kids need and we, we have to wiggle that in or fit that in or make that part of our curriculum on, on our own. And, and so what that means is teachers really need some support to figure this out, unpack it, and make sure you know they're becoming, I think, effective users of the content that's being put out. I, I fully agree. You know, we've all received very, for lack of a better word, very kind of whitewashed approach to history over our careers. I've I haven't seen the story the article, and every day I learn something new that I'm thinking, why didn't I learn this? Or, or how is what I learned so off or so different from the reality? And you take, you know, when you hear from a teacher's voice or you're reading the textbook, you take it as truth, especially when you're a kid or a high school student. So I think that's part of the dynamic we're facing right now is so many people have grown up in a system that has led them to believe that what they know is fact Mm -hmm. um, because they read it and they heard it. And so it's hard to dismantle. And those people are now grown up and they're teachers, right? And parents and community members. They're, they're, they're who we live with the next door. And so there's a lot of adult work that needs to be done to make sure that kids don't grow into the same type of adults that we have in terms of our knowledge around and, you know, right. they, our history, uh, our real history, our actual history. And so I, I think there's a lot of work to do, but projects like the 1619 Project and others are starting to help kind of peel back the veil of what's really going on and give us more accurate accounts of really what history kind of has was and kind of what it has led to, how it's still showing up day in and day out mm-hmm. for Americans in this country. And so I think there's just a lot of work to do on the adult side of things to make sure that kids can kind of embrace the content in ways that we, we just didn't, probably as students, because we didn't know any better. But we know better now. And yeah. so, we, so there's no reason to hide behind it anymore. I agree. I always wonder, like, what... How would I have moved through the world differently had I not known those things? Because I know exactly. there's a lot there are a lot of things that I didn't start learning until, you know, about maybe like five to seven years ago when I really started to dig into things. And so the more I learn, the more I share um with my own children and as I work 
work with kids and support teachers throughout our district. But I always think like, had I known, you know, right. what an honor and what a privilege and, you know, been able to learn how to walk in all the power that comes with being a black woman in America, then I think I would have just gone through life differently. So I always, I think about that, that too. I've been silent on my ignorance. I'm just telling you, like some of the stuff that I've learned in my 40s, it's been ridiculous um, that I did not open it. And, you know, the sad part about it, let me just let me just introspect for myself. The information was always there. I did not open up a book to read for it. I need to take ownership on that because I was taught to read, but I would prefer to read rap lyric or I was taught to read but I wouldn't use it to gain knowledge. That's the ignorance that was inside of me. I really have a problem with the word equity. I think that we failed as educators because we're still talking about it. Do you agree or disagree? I don't know. Because Dr. Moody, do you think we'll ever arrive where it's like you get the medal of equity and you don't need to discuss it anymore? I don't think, no. I mean, realistically, I don't think we'll, we'll arrive to that point. I... William, I agree with kind of the sentiment. I and I, you know, I even alluded to it. I think in the introduction, how I tend to not use it as much as I did because I do think it's become so commonplace. We do this a lot in education, right? We kind of toss around terms, and when they take root, they become kind of just very ubiquitous. And I think the term is helpful for thinking about the end goal, but I don't think it's. I just don't think it's specific enough. If I'm being frank about kind of what we're really up against in terms of trying to figure out how to reframe the work of our schools and the teachers in our schools. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's aspirational and I think it's where we definitely need to head, but I think there are more specific ways to talk about what we're talking about, you know, specifically race and racism and the impact of racism on our educational system specifically. And, and what I found kind of, as I'm doing more and more of this work, people listen differently when you don't use the terms that they're used to hearing. Right. So yeah. if we can toss around equity all day and then people kind of sit comfortably and nod their heads and say, I believe in equity. Yeah. If you yeah. ask people to kind of confront the racism that kind of lives within the brain, <laughs> it's a completely different reaction. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of the importance of getting more specific in how we talk about this, because that's what we need people to do is be much more introspective. We've all kind of shared already that there's so much lost opportunity in our youth to kind of really get, accurate facts in our heads about about what's really gone on and what is going on. And so I tend not to use it as much just because I want people to actually face more head on what we actually need to talk about. It. And it, it's much deeper kind of this, this umbrella of equity. We've also used equity in, in so many different contexts, right? And we use it kind of in relation to students with special needs and English language learners. And there's a whole body of large swath of students who need more equitable education than they're getting. And so I think, you know, I like to be more specific, especially for talking about race, because I, I want people to, I want people to talk specifically about it. I want them to think differently about it too. And, and I don't want to hide behind terms that equity feels good. And so I think in education, you know, we're used to making people feel good. And so we use right. terms that are, are a little bit more disarming. And, and I think it's probably causing us to take a longer, much longer road in this work because people aren't addressing it seriously, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I really want to call it what it is. And I really appreciate you and Nicole bringing that out. I mean, we need to have we need to go ahead, call it what it is and just go ahead and point it out, especially being in the South and being an administrator in the South. It's time for us to not only have the conversation, but let's get past the conversation. And if we're not going to just have it and get past it, there's no real work. In my opinion, I'm only 
I'm only stating my opinion. Um, so when y'all call my boss, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but you make a good point, Will. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that if you look at most American schools and uh, now, I mean, and it's been this way almost, you know, as long as I can remember. Yeah. What you have is a lot of middle class teachers with are mostly white teachers that are teaching black kids. And a lot of them have no idea. I mean, not, not just teachers, but the administrators have no idea of the background that these kids come from. Then a lot of a lot of teachers come bring into the classrooms a lot of their perceptions, uh, you know, perceived or implicit biases or what have you about these these kids. And that certainly has an impact on student learning. I mean, you know. Like they always tell you, and kids, you know, their antennas go up when you're when teacher comes into class. They can tell what you're all about. They know if you're there just for the first and the fifteenth to get a check. They know if you care about them. They know if you you know you just you know just just trying to get them through so you can move on to the next. They are very perceptive. So you know when you start talking about equity in the classroom, I think it's more of a mindset of the teacher to establish a classroom where kids feel comfortable, they feel valued, and they feel appreciated. And I think if that doesn't happen, then, you know, I don't think learning learning will occur. And I think that's where, you know, we'll, where we see that equity will have a have a, a negative impact on uh, on students learning. Lack of, equity, lack of equity. Yeah, I'd even add on to that. What you are saying resonates with me. I was one of those teachers and not knowing kind of what I didn't know. And I think, you know, a quote I heard once that was really powerful for me was racism does not require intent. And that's been pretty profound in my understanding of this this work. Specifically because I never viewed myself as a racist person or a racist teacher, but in unpacking all that goes into that, you know, what you know is like there's racism ingrained in who we are, particularly if you grow up white and live in white, which I have, you know. So despite the fact that I, I spent my entire career in districts serving almost all students of color, I have, you know, I've never been on a staff that wasn't majority white, despite the fact that our students were majority black in, in most cases. So... So it's not even this kind of ill intent on the part of teachers to not go there. They just don't know any better in some cases. And so, you know, this is why I think it's incumbent upon the systems and educators who, who have deeper understanding of this work to really start to push harder, quite frankly, and making sure we're talking about these things and not just talking about them, but unpacking what it really means and helping people process, like, what does that mean for you as a teacher? Because until we do that, we're going to stay really surface. Yeah, and, and I agree with you, uh, Dr. Moody. I think in a lot of cases, it's not a teacher's intent. I don't think a teacher actually, a lot of them come from just what they have been exposed to, what they're used to, and they bring that into the classroom without any training. And, and I put a lot of that, to be honest with you, I put a, a, some of that blame on our colleges also, because, you know, in these teacher education programs, rarely do you find where they are coming through their classes from the a practical standpoint, rarely do they put teachers in urban classrooms for their teacher training. A lot of times it's in the, some of the better schools with some of the better performing kids. Instead of taking them down to an area where they, they will probably get their first job, to be honest with you. And so that, uh, you know, that, to be honest with you, that, I, I guess that can be devastating on both parts, both the teacher and the student. So I've gone back to school. I have a mask on all day. I work at a high school. So we have students who are coming back. We have teachers that are coming back. And we, as we look at equity in the COVID era, what opportunities do teachers have to make their classrooms equitable for students of all color? The beauty of being a teacher is you have all opportunity because you largely control everything that goes on in your classroom. I mean, I, I think if we think about even what's going on today, you know, we've 
we've been in this moment of the Black Lives Matter movement and so much, there's so much going on in society that we should be talking about with kids because they're talking about it, right? Yeah, it's all yeah. Over, yeah they <laughs> it's all are. They're looking at, you know, I, it kind of gets back to what I've been saying, which is I just think, you know, when, when teachers don't feel prepared to have those conversations or they're nervous about it, we just avoid this thing altogether. And so what's going on in the world is not being reflected of what's going on in the classroom. So I think first and foremost, teachers need to kind of step into this, the discomfort of knowing that there, there's so much to learn of just from what's going on and what we can read. And sometimes that means you got to be a little more humble and just learn, learn alongside of your students. Engaging in the dialogue for the sake of both helping kids start the process, but also at the same time, you're going to learn a lot when you hear our students talk about what, what they're seeing and hearing, particularly students of color who are watching this going on in their, you know, in, our, in all of our communities around the world, really right now. So I think not missing opportunities that are sitting right in front of us in terms of kind of current events and stuff that are going on is one. I think there are, there are a million, too, that we can do in terms of curriculum. We talked about 1619 Project, but really kind of digging into the curriculum and being honest about what it's teaching and what it's not teaching and supplementing as you need to. I think thinking about everything from our assessment methods and engagement strategies, even expectations we have for kids or don't have for groups of students, how we interact with communities and parents. There's To me, there's kind of opportunities day in and day out, almost every minute of the day, for teachers to engage differently and more equitably, quite frankly, in, in what they're engaging their students in. But they got to want to do it. And I think you know what it's going to require, too, a little bit is some support from the top because the other thing that's scary is if you're a teacher and you start to go down this road, you want to know that when a parent who doesn't like what you're talking about is calling that school leaders have, have are going to support you or the district's going to support you. And unfortunately, I think we have educators shying away because they don't feel like they have that support either. So I think, you know, classroom teachers also starting to voice to administrators, both at the school and district level, what they need. And what they are hoping or expecting when they embrace the conversation is going to be an important part of the process, too, is making sure that we're all, you know, under, fully understanding kind of what happened downstream. I mean, I, I've always had these types of conversations with my kids, and absolutely, sometimes there are parents who have really strong feelings about one way or the other, but I've never found that if we sit folks down and talk about why... <laughs> that they're so close-minded that they don't start to understand. And they may not agree, but they almost always at least back down. I also don't back down on these things because I just think it's important that we, we take a stand. So I don't want to keep blathering on, but I do think there are kind of opportunities in and out. But curriculum, how we're training sporting teachers, the type of professional learning teachers engaged in, we should be talking more about race and racism. And we can talk a little bit less about some of the other stuff. Even all these kind of social-emotional learning, some of the hot topics in education today, you know, race, racism, kind of equity can be built into all of these structures in ways that I think would make it much more authentic as, as part of the dialogue. Yeah, I heard him say a couple of things that I'm just like, amen to that. That's one thing I miss about having my own classroom and my own students to love on and nurture for a, a school year is those informal conversations that lead to not me teaching them, you know, but them teaching me and really creating like a class. I feel like the classroom should be a reciprocal, you know, a place where there's like reciprocal learning. I'm giving and I'm also getting. And I actually had this conversation earlier today with some colleagues about walking alongside teachers, but I think the same applies with students. And you have to know when to step in and when to step aside. But I think our job is definitely to provide a safe space for students to talk about these things. Because when you don't say anything, I feel like being quiet is the loudest thing that you can say. And you're always going to be wrong when you say nothing. 
Uh, you're always going to be wrong. And even if you tell students, like, I want to talk about, I don't know. I'm In my ignorance, I don't know what to say, but I know it's important to you. And so I'm going to give you the space to talk about it. In saying that also, I don't think that you can have this conversation with students. I just hear in my head, like, do no harm, right? So if we're providing space for kids to have these conversations, the first check yourself. And so if you are supporting black and brown students and you're not connected to that community, if you, you don't see yourself as someone who is serving the community, there also is some self-work I feel like that needs to take place before you can really facilitate that conversation with students. Otherwise, kids are going to walk away and you're going to do more, a lot more harm than you, do, than you will help them for sure. Thank you. Both of you guys are right on with that, Will. And I, and I just kind of just want to chime in just one little thing. I just think that, man, the, the thing is, the number one way that teachers can build equity w- with students, particularly in this time of COVID-19, is just build relationships with the kids. You know, get to know these kids, man. Get to know what's going on. Kind of, you know, have them feel where they can come and talk to you if needed. And I think once you form that relationship with them, then a lot of doors will be open. A lot of barriers will be, you know, come down and teachers will be able to reach, reach kids. And once the kid know that you care about them, then, man, I, I think that's when learning is more impactful. And that's when learning happens for teachers, too, right? The right, exactly. Like students, I'm actually learn much more about their life experience and understand right. how they view exactly. the world, which I might not have if I tried to build that relationship. And so I think, again, like, if we're missing so many opportunities to learn. And we, that's what we should be doing. We should always be sitting, I was talking about sitting in the learner seat, but teachers are so used to being the teacher that I think we forget that we need to learn too. And so like, we need to reframe our, even our brains to think, you know, I need to be learning all the time every day because I don't know it all. Right. And the more I know, the more I'm learning, I think there are real big gaps in my knowledge that I need to shore up. And so Nicole, I think you have to know that too. There's so much self-work and reflection and, and study, quite frankly. It's not just about reflecting about what it means to be white or black. Like, Go read, like figure out what you don't know and like start to inform yourself because that's really going to help us push this conversation in a way that just, it's just sitting there. And you're right, saying nothing is being complacent, but it's also being complicit. And I think we, we need to move out of that space. So y'all going to just continue to knock it out the park and we have no more time for our show. I knew this was going to be a very good conversation. I told y'all it's, <laughs> this is going to be a good conversation. Man, I want to thank both of you for being on the show. Nicole, where can we find you at on social media? You can find me at Nicole. That's at K-N-I-K-O-L-E um, on Facebook and on Twitter. Yes. You have any special projects coming up? You know, I don't have a special project coming right right now. I do not. We're actually doing some work. We just completed a summit about three weeks ago. Yes. And the next step is, I always think, what happens after the PD? Like, to me, I'm like, what do you do with that? You know, you don't. We created such a great, um, it was two days of learning and then a couple of on-demand sessions, about 30 some odd sessions that looked at culture responses, teaching and learning and teaching with tech and all of the things. So now we need to really, you know, it was so fun. We danced, we, we talked. Okay, but now we need to do some work. So, okay, um, Nicole, that's, that's, that's going to that's be another show because we're going to definitely, you, yeah, you, boy, you didn't hit a hot spot with me. Can we do this tomorrow night? We'll, can we? <laughs> we're, we're building some work, some work groups now. So if you had a good time and you have some learning, now we're going to form some work groups to actually put what we learned into practice. So. 
That's great. Hey, Nicole is cold, man. She's cold-blooded. All right, right, Dr. Moody, where can we find you at on social media? At Dr. Michael Moody, my name, uh, on Twitter, and I'm also on Facebook, or our website, InsideEducationGroup.com. Well, we connect there. Yes, sir. Now, do you have anything special coming up? We are spending, I'm spending all my time right now helping districts think about opening or reopening or not opening. <laughs> so I mean, that is kind of my days and nights have been, been there. And we're doing some you know exciting work on the East Coast relative to these conversations. We're working with two districts and they've engaged teacher teams and they're calling them equity teams. So we're, we're sitting with teachers and we're reading Kendi and we're kind of digging into the work and we're having them kind of really examine themselves for a full year before they get into the understanding and trying to unpack what they do with their kids. So I'm hoping that we can start to learn some good lessons about how to engage educators in the work first so that they're much more effective when they when it's time for them, which is now to engage their students. Hey, man, this is your second time back. You're the first guy to do a second time. I need you to come back for a third time to hit us back. You Nicole, go. you invited back, too. <laughs> Nicole, you invited, too. You know, you got an open door. I definitely want to find out what teachers are doing with the PD after they've completed the the uh, the workshops. Uh, that's a million dollar uh, question. I, I, that's, <laughs> yeah, what you do with yours, Will? After you come, after you, man, after you, I didn't learn until later in my career that I was supposed to use it. <laughs> it was after I got out of the classroom. Oh, I'm supposed to. I was supposed to use it. <laughs> Oh man, uh, that's a man. joke. I'm just kidding. All I'm just right. kidding. That's a joke. Don't don't believe me. That's a joke. I'm not sending you anywhere. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere else. Nowhere else. Yeah. Can't been, you, yeah. uh, Your travel has been terminated. Done. <laughs> done. Done. All right. Thank you guys very much. Welcome to Flip Tips. Flip Tips is brought to you by Terry Porter. Today's tip: Tell a story with your Flipboard magazine title. Terry has published the following article on Medium.com. Why a generic magazine title is not the best idea. So here's the question. What do you want your readers to get from your Flipboard magazine? You are collecting and curating items from a unique passion perspective. You have a story to tell. Your Flipboard magazine title should reflect that. You can find this article and many others flipped in our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine. Thank you, Terry, for that flip tip. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to our show, Flipboard Fam. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Dr. Michael Moody and Nicole Taylor and Dr. Michael Milstead and Stacey Boudry just for all of your help and listening to the show. Every teacher that's returning back to school, I want to just tell you that you have an advocate in me and whatever I can do to help you guys out, just let us know. You can find us on Flipboard EDU Magazine. You can find us in Flipboard. You can find me on Twitter at Coach Jeffrey. And I'm just looking forward to this year. I want to thank everybody for coming on the show. And our next show, we will have the topic hip hop and education. Flipboard is a great way to collect articles for classes, show off your school and school spirit, and share expertise with peers.